0: Welcome to the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. Our mission is to share the simplest and most peaceful system for food freedom in the world with people who suffer from binge eating, food addiction, and compulsive overeating. We are here to show that with the right strategy and support, any committed, coachable, and resourceful individual can feel peaceful and free with food. Hello, hello, and welcome to another live stream and today is one of the most important topics to know if you are on the path to food freedom because this is an introduction to the science and also the art of rewiring the brain around food and the reason we say science and art is because of course there's the scientific framework but when it comes to really adapting this to you that's where the art comes in so this topic is going to be especially important for people who have who have already had experience with diets, uh, weight loss programs, therapy, nutritionists, and have not had success ending your binge eating with those things. Um, Also, if you primarily have been relying on willpower in order to try to stop your binges, and you found that this isn't also not creating success for you, This is what what most, pretty much all of our clients have had that experience and have found success using this. So this is a very important topic. Um, And we have, uh, for those of you who are watching, you can see Shahar's with us today. Shahar's our mindset coach. And um, I love when Shahar comes because his insights have always been incredibly valuable to me Um, And for those of you who don't really know, I'll tell you a short story is Shahar really helped me end binge eating myself. And he was there through the whole thing. Um, And in terms of the mindset it takes to really do this, because you have, right, you have the strategy you need, but then you also have like the whole mindset component. So whereas my strength tends to be the strategy piece, Shahar really carries the strength with the mindset and our clients have gotten amazing um, epiphanies and 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 seen really incredible success in just a few sessions with him. So we brought him here today so that way he can share from his experience, because um, while, yes, you can know the theory and the science, if you don't have the experience of a real practitioner, it just doesn't translate. It doesn't translate from theory to real life. That's why it's so important that whoever is supporting you in this is a strong practitioner in the things that they're teaching you. So that way, they can coach you accordingly beyond just the theory. So the process of brain rewiring, the good news about this is, you know, I think, and a lot of people talk about, oh, I just rewired my brain. But what does that really mean? It's not mysterious. It's not complicated. We still use this all the time in our in every area of our lives. And it's what we teach our clients to use with food. So all it really takes is repeated practice of the right actions with the right attitude. And in this talk, we're gonna go over some of the main concepts of brain rewiring, so you can see how it works. And it doesn't matter if you're already thinking, oh, but, uh, but I've been doing this for so long, it's gonna take so long to undo all, all of the harm I've done. Put that out of your head right now, because we've seen that this works regardless of how long you've struggled in the past. So we've had clients leave 50 years of binge eating behind using this method. So we have come to know and you know see with our own eyes that any committed and coachable individual can really create this peace and freedom with food using these concepts of rewiring the brain. So um, I'm going to add Shahar in here right now. Hello. (laughs) There he is. Hello, Um, I'm back. And I see that we've got some people here saying hello. Thank you. I always appreciate you guys when you say hello to us because, you know, both of us, we've been teaching for such a long time, for 10 to 15 years, probably 25 years between the two of us. And... We only before we started doing these live streams, we only talked to people in person. <laughs> so it's a very different feeling when you're just kind of talking and you only see yourself. <laughs> so I always appreciate when you guys write in the comments and interact with us because it it reminds us that you're here. So thank you. Um, okay, so Shahar. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being here. So yesterday we were planning out this talk and we were going on a walk and Shahar said, you know, the first thing that we really need to talk about here. Welcome, Janet. Nice to see you. But He said that really the first thing we need to talk about here is the actual problem. And that the problem that we see with a lot of people who are struggling with binge eating and food addiction is that they actually, um, they will describe themselves as a binge eater or as a food addict. In other words, they've adopted this as part of their identity. And we're going to talk about why this is connected to brain training. So Shahar, do you want to open with that, maybe explaining a little bit more about why this would be a problem in terms of healing
1: or recovery? Sure. Uh, first thing, as we talked about yesterday, and, and we're talking about here in the call, is we have to define what is the problem? And what is the goal we're looking for? And, and when we're talking about rewiring the brain, well, why people who are listening to us right now are attracted to it, because they they don't like the way they are thinking right now, they don't like the results of their thoughts or the results of their actions or their thoughts. And they want to change that. And that would be called the habits. Now, when it comes to binge eating, especially if you carry binge eating for a very long time, It becomes, and like you said, it becomes your identity. Now, I want to make a distinction between an identity and a habit, right? Because if you ever had an argument with someone, especially in politics, or basically in everything where people identify as what they're arguing as, you know that it's very, very difficult to change the other person's mind. It's very difficult to change your own mind. Right? If someone is challenging your own view of what you believe to be yourself, it's very uncomfortable. It, it puts you in a very uncomfortable state. That's what why people call it the cognitive dissonance, is the idea that if someone is challenging who I am by challenging my views or by challenging what I say, then it's a very uncomfortable feeling, which is very natural, right? We don't want to challenge our identity because that's the only thing we know. It's much, much more difficult to challenge an identity. So, why
0: just some examples of what an identity, what what we mean by identity? So, if I said I'm a binge eater, right. or I'm addicted to food, or I'm completely out of control,
1: right? Exactly, and, and you and this is something we saw a lot and about how people just talk about themselves regarding the binge eating because they're so used to it. They say these stuff. They say, I am a binge eater. They even put it in initials, BED. I've been diagnosed by BED. I am this. I have this. I can't control myself. I don't trust myself. That word I is always resonates with the the problem. So you're not experiencing a problem. You are the problem. And that makes it so much more difficult to change because you are associating the problem with who you are. Now, the thing we need to understand about our brain, our brain doesn't necessarily go to what is good for us and what is bad for us. The brain doesn't choose things based on good or bad right? or moral, immoral. The way the brain works, it chooses habits based on what is the most comfortable. And what is the most familiar, right? It's a it's a survival instinct we have ingrained with us that the comfortable represents safety. So the brain goes to what feels safe, right? So by going to what is comfortable, and again, doesn't it could be harmful, it could be good or harmful, it doesn't matter. It's familiar. And that's the identity we are feeling. That's why it's very uncomfortable to leave it. So when we say I am a binge eater, even though it's, very frustrating and consumes our lives into the to the deepest aspects of our lives. We still find it difficult to leave it behind because that's what we know. And we and and me and Katie, we've seen this a lot happens. When we talk to a person and they say, I want to have food freedom, but I still want to can maintain the diets. I still want to, I want to still hold on to those aspects of my identity that is the diets, the restriction, diet, my life and culture around food. I wanna maintain that and at the same time achieve food freedom, which completely goes against that identity. And that makes it much difficult. This is uh, this is for everyone to understand, why is it so difficult to change that identity? And, and this is kind of a segue to what we're gonna talk uh, next and I'll give it back to Katie about what is the difference between an identity and... Um, And the habits and what is the difference about what we're doing and how we're making it much easier to shift.
0: Right. Exactly. And if you guys have heard us, you know, if you've been coming to these talks for a while now, you've probably heard me say you are not your thoughts. You are not even your body. These are ever changing things that are part of your experience, but they're not who you are, because If I was always a negative person and see how I'm using that as an identity, I am a negative person. See how it's so different than saying I experience negative thoughts. Right. One is identifying with them. One is just sharing the experience or I have a history of repeating negative thoughts to myself. So that's that's not the same as saying I'm negative. I'm inherently negative. I've always been negative. Notice how that's the identity. So if I want to change myself from negative to positive in terms of the way I think, if I always say I'm a negative person, then, think, then being positive is the opposite of my current identity. It's going to be really hard to do because that means I have to let go of myself. I have to let my old self die in order to build up a new self, which is very scary. Even these like metaphorical deaths are still deaths to the ego. So the ego will resist these things to keep itself alive. Therefore, anytime I start to try to, and I did this, I remember in high school, um, my mom can can vouch for this. I went through a week because I was so negative. I would literally wake up in the morning, start cursing the world. I can't even identify with that person anymore, but that was how it was. And I remember I went through this week of saying, I'm going to be positive, Katie and i called it i called her positive katie this week it's all about positive katie and i would wake up in the morning i would say oh good morning mother and <laughs> and i would just, <laughs> but it was so ingenuine because i still believed i was a negative person trying to be positive so it didn't help me actually make any so even though i had a week where i practiced positivity it was not sustainable because i still identified as being a negative person Now, the way we get to start to change the brain is when we stop viewing the binge eating or the food uh, addiction or the cravings or the out of controlness. We stop viewing it as us, but instead we view it as habits that we're looking to shift because it's far less personal to change a habit versus changing who you are. Right. So so this is so this is the, the idea. So what we're talking about here when we're talking about rewiring the brain, we're talking about changing habits, not changing who we are, because the binge eating is not who you are. If it was who you are, by the way, if you were meant to be a binge eater and this is who you are, you would be very content like this. But the reason you're not is because this is not who you are. So even though it's comfortable and it's familiar, it's just not you. So so how do we fix that problem? One of the first things that we do is we separate the identity versus the habit. And we really just focus on this from a habit um, standpoint. I'm just reviewing my notes here. So, um, Shahar, do you want to talk about why... um, why the habits, why focusing on building the habits instead of trying to change our identity, why focusing on just building the habits will bring about more freedom and independence?
1: Right, Uh, yeah, I'll be happy to. Just the last blurb of what we talked about um, before, and this is something everybody who is listening to us us can resonate, is the thought, but what if if I give give up on the restrictions, I can't control myself, right? This is something that goes through a lot of people's brain because we associate ourselves with the restrictions so much that without them, we don't know who we are. We're afraid of what we're gonna be without them. So, and that is a very scary thought. And that's something we've seen so much where people say, I can't be without the restriction because I don't know what will happen. I'm afraid of this happening, right? So, right, so to your question, regarding why changing the habits, it's more viable than the identity. First of all, just by creating that disassociation already, that's a huge step forward in changing behavior because when you're not identifying as the thing you want to change, but instead you identify as an experience of what you're seeing, it's already a major step forward because now it's not your identity. You don't carry that weight of losing something you are. Right? This this is something we've seen. Like, like I said, the fear of losing what I'm comfortable with. That is the scariest part. It's not even creating a new image, it's losing what I'm what I had. Now, which brings me to the idea of why focusing on changing of the habits or sh- changing of a thought pattern or creating a, a new pattern of thinking or a new pattern of experiences is stronger because you don't need to let go of old habits in order to do that. What you do, you focus on creating a new habit. You're focusing on creating a new mindset or focusing on creating a new translation or experience of the world. And by reinforcing that, it will let go of the old, more naturally. And, and, and I'll give a little analogy kind of so people can understand what I'm talking about. If you're if you're seeing me, imagine as if you're here right now, this is like a ladder. I'm climbing a ladder, right? And this is where you are right now. This is the binge eater, right? Not the identity, right? Just a generic term, right? This is where we feel when before we start the program or where, before we start shifting. You hold, hold on to we,
0: that one rung, that one rung right, of the ladder.
1: Right, you can't let it go because if you let it go, you fall. This is what the mind feels. That's what the mind feels. It feels, I don't want to let this go because I'm going to fall. Now, if you're going to start creating a new habit, imagine as if you're releasing your right hand and the right hand goes up and kind of of almost attaching to a new habit. This is the new thought pattern. Like Katie said, this is the positive, Katie. And you're attaching to it, but it's not completely firm. Now, what does the mind think? This is not firm enough. This is not something I'm used to. So I'm not letting go of the old one yet. Why? Because if I'm letting go of the old too early, I'm going to fall again. This is what our mind thinks like. So when the new habit is firm enough and comfortable and strong enough, it's going to be very easy for the mind to let it go and reattach it. Once, it's, once it reattaches, it doesn't go down again. Right? That's how you create a new pattern. This is the idea of driving a car, which we're going to talk about and how we build that experience. But just again, to do a quick summary is the only part that makes it difficult to move into a new habit is that reinforcing of this. So the mind feels comfortable enough to let it go. Okay, it's that sensation of 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 instability. That makes it difficult to transform into the next level, and that's why focusing on strengthening a new habit, a new mindset, a new perspective, is stronger than letting go of the old one. Right? Imagine if your mind—you told your mind to do this. Right? That's much more difficult to let go of the old and at the same time grab into the new. That's very un- unpleasant and uncomfortable.
0: Right, and. I think that's a big thing, actually, because a lot of people, at least who we've worked with, have shared that they have a big fear of failure. But on the other side of that coin, there's also a big fear of success because the success is the unfamiliar part, at least with failure. They've felt that many, many times before. It's very it's not pleasant, but it's very comfortable. It's very familiar. Whereas success, there's so much uncertainty around what that even looks like. There's a lot of fear because they might associate that if I'm successful, I basically lose everything that I know.
1: and Right. And before we continue, I think you raised such a good point there. And this is something a lot of people resonate with, because they say to themselves, if I won't be able to binge, I can't have the food I really like anymore. And that's the reason people don't want to go into diets and etc. Even if they're going to, it's always like, There's this still identity attached to the old. I can't give up the binge because I'm giving up on pleasure. I can't be mindful and calm around food because then I'm giving up my pleasure. This is something we've seen so much. And that's the the mind of being afraid of success, as Katie suggests. Exactly.
0: And it also points, you know, to... This is more of like, I would guess, a a systemic problem. But there are, you know, so many treatment methods out there that are, you know, delivered by well-meaning professionals, but they rely on the idea that the binge eating is the identity of the person. So, for example, many professionals will say things like, avoid these foods, avoid these triggers, avoid these situations where you're going to be triggered because if you don't, you won't be able to control yourself because you're a binge eater, you have this incurable disease, you have this mental illness, and it's, it's, it's wrapped up into the identity. So therefore, they'll give you guidance based on the identity that you have no control. Whereas, um, whereas this is, yeah, exactly, Janet says, or some say that you need to give up foods like sugar or flour because they're addictive. Meanwhile, anything can be addictive, right? Like, yeah, maybe those things release dopamine in the brain, but so does seeing a Facebook notification. So does watching TV. So does exercise. So does right. you know lots of things release the release that. So it's not about right. as humans.
1: We, as humans, we can be addicted to anything.
0: Exactly. So, and we've seen it so many times, specifically with things like you know people who who call themselves sugar addicts, or I'm crazy for carbs, or or things like that. As soon as they dissociate themselves from the, that identity Instead, just focus on this as, oh, I have a habit of eating a lot of sugar. Now, suddenly we can focus on just the habit and it's no longer like I'm dealing with a sugar addict. I'm dealing with a person who has a history of sugar addiction, right? Or has a history of, you know, riling themselves up around sugar. But because we're now focused on the habit, instead of trying to like extract someone's identity out it's It's a much easier and more peaceful process to make changes that way. It's a lot less um, scary because you don't need to let go of, of any bit of who you
1: are. Right. Then do you mind if I add a little something about that? Sure. I know, I know we have a time limit. <laughs> but again, I wanna I want to also clarify, That the point we're making is not to downplay the effects of the chemical imbalances or the addictive nature of different substances or the way that doctors, psychiatrists, and psychologists and all the different professionals approach it. We're not downplaying any of those. But what we're suggesting is the importance of the identity because the, the problem is the biggest aspect of the problem is not the addictive nature of it. It is the identity that you associate it, associate with being addicted, right? We've seen that so many times and, and, and therapists and psychologists, psychiatrists understand that, that the biggest problem is not that people like smoke or eat uh, addictive substances, is that they identify as that thing. And without it, this is, the, this is the part we're talking about. It's the identity of the addict that is the, the thing that makes it different. Di- uh, difficult to change
0: exactly exactly and then at that point when you're focused on the habit level you have the opportunity all that compulsiveness because really that's what we always focus on we think that you know food addiction or any you know thing that related to food that we talk about relates really to two things compulsion and obsession the food is just the object Right. So but really, if we're going to focus on fixing this and retraining the brain, we're not really focused on the food by saying, oh, eat this food or that food. Instead, we want to focus on the habit of compulsion and the habit of obsession and to bring relief to both of those habits. Um, So and and the confusing thing that that can wrap a lot of people up into thinking that this is hopeless is they don't see compulsiveness or obsessiveness as habits. They see them as who they are. This is just how I am. This is who I am. This is how I was brought up. Um, so, So when we're changing the habits, if we can attach to the habit and just focus on building the new habit, so instead of compulsion, right, we would practice being more peaceful and relaxed, the ability to let go. Bringing in that habit and focusing on building that, what happens as a side effect because of how just the brain operates, is then the compulsive habit gradually just kind of goes away on its own, right? Because think about like, I'm holding up my two hands as neurons and imagine that there's like a line connecting these two. The more we build a habit, that line between these two neurons strengthens, then the habit becomes new. And any other habit that was firing before will start to naturally fall away. This is how people um, can change their, their personality. Um, and and this is and this is the idea. And um, I'll just touch upon Marie. Just wrote a question quickly. She wrote, "What about the ADHD diagnosis that makes compulsions stronger?" So again, with any you know diagnosis, you can choose to identify with it or not. So, for example, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a teenager, but I did not accept this as my identity. Instead, what I did was I understood, okay. My issues are around, like, impulsivity, compulsion. Um, I have a lot of habits around, um, you know, just being obsessive and and being overactive, basically. I have a very active mind. So instead, what I learned how to do was not to say, oh, I have ADHD. I'm screwed now because this is my identity. Instead, what I chose to do was um, focus on building up patterns such as concentration, focus, relaxation. I learned how to wire these things into my way of thinking, into my muscle memory. Now, someone meeting me, like, I don't feel any symptoms of ADHD anymore. I don't think anyone would look at me and say, you know, oh, you definitely have that, because I gave myself the opportunity to build up the skills I needed. So those symptoms of ADHD were not running my life anymore. Sure, I still my my thoughts still can be obsessive for sure. But now I've learned to use this in a way that helps me, such as when I really need to focus or when I get really excited about something that's actually helpful. And during the times when it's not helpful, I can bring in my other practices and my other tools where I learn how to relax and I learn how to concentrate and, and I've built those skills up over time. So so this is the idea that um, that this By is the way,
1: by the way, from a mindset perspective, right, then this is, you can, like he said, and again, not to downplay the 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 importance of that diagnosis and saying it's, we're not saying it's meaningless. The point is, it's a diagnosis, but it doesn't actually define who you are. It doesn't define your future. And it's also a matter of perspective, right? I had this conversation with someone who is uh, dyslectic. My, bro- my brother, for example, is dyslexic. And you can either treat it as a crutch, as something that cripples you, or you can use that, uh, or uh, or you can use it as kind of in a uh, a different perspective on the world, right? I had this long conversation with someone who had bipolar, bipolar was diagnosed with bipolar, and two friends of mine that I know are like that, and their perspective was different. They said. Actually, me being bipolar made me more sensitive to shifts in my mind than normal people because I'm more susceptible to going through those extremes. Now I can actually notice my mind shifting that other normal people can't. So it's a perspective. You can take ADHD or ADD and say, okay, this is my crutch, this is who I am. So I can't focus on things. Or you can say, okay, I can use that to develop myself in this way right? It could be the same tree, but it doesn't have to be the same shape, right? It can move in different different directions. Different branches can go different ways. It's up to you whether you're going to treat that as the illness, the disease, the the binge eating. Is that your... The food, is this my identity, crutch, who I am? That's what I am. This is how it's going to be. I'm just coping with it. Or you're going to take, okay. And by the way, this is something me and Katie know very well about the people who work with us and the people who have been here tend to be very clever, highly intelligent, smart people, critical thinkers. Why? Right? That obsession also comes with intelligence. Someone like me, I'm not obsessive and I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> that comes
0: very smart.
1: I'm uh, smart in a different way, but the idea of overthinking something and critical thinking and go through a thought, that's something I don't do, All right? So you can either see it as a superpower or a weakness, up to you.
0: Exactly. And it's true. And um, as Janet brought up, she said, you know, some foods are more addictive that have flour and sugar. No one's disputing that, but that does not mean that they are more powerful than you. Right. And it doesn't mean that they have control over you. And it also doesn't mean that it can't change. Um, When I was dealing with binge eating, I was working in a bakery. So I definitely identified myself as a sugar addict. I believed anything Mm -hmm. with flour, sugar, it was like set something off and I just lost all control. But once I started really what we're doing, what we're talking about here, and shifting this perspective, now I'm in a place where, you know, I can forget I have cookies in the house. That was something that never was happening before. Now I can have a cookie and I'm good. Whereas before it was no less than an entire package in a, in an evening. So, so, and we see that it's, I'm not special or unique. We see this sort of thing happening all the time. Um, and even with people who had, you know, far longer sugar addictions than I had. So, so just because, you know, a substance has some power, it doesn't mean that it's more powerful than you. And it doesn't mean that you can't shift your own brain. Because what I've learned is that when we try to control and we spend all of our energy trying to control all these external things around us, like what foods we eat or where we go or what aisles of the supermarket we walk down or what kind of restaurants we'll allow ourselves to go to, when we try to control all of those little things, it's it's exhausting because then we fear everything. We fear, oh my God, I'm gonna walk, I can't walk past the cinnabon because I'm gonna smell it. I can't walk down the aisle of the supermarket cause I'm gonna see the ice cream. I can't go to this restaurant because and then everything's fearful, and then the world, your world becomes so small because you're hiding and defending yourself against all possible triggers. It's not a super pleasant way to live. But when you focus instead, of on on shifting your your own adaptability and tapping into your own power and what your brain is really capable of and and how how strong habits can really become, that's where where the magic really starts to shift and where you start to see that you are more powerful than all of these factors around you. Marie had a nice question. She said, and do you really have as much pleasure with one cookie versus the whole pack? Marie, if I had pleasure eating the whole pack, I wouldn't have stopped. The reason I wanted to stop eating the whole pack every night is because it was painful. That little instant gratification of pleasure was great, but then the whole rest of it was pain. If binge eating was pure pleasure, no one would be trying to stop. The reason people are trying to stop is because it's not pure pleasure. It's because it's mostly pain. and one cookie it's not about one or a whole pack it's about being able to adapt yourself so that you can pay attention when something is pleasurable and when something is not so for me if i'm eating cookies and i eat a cookie right i might get great pleasure but then if i start eating a second cookie and i and i might notice hmm the taste isn't as good now i'm already getting a little full dah, dah, dah. it's not going to be as pleasurable so it's not about I'm stopping because of the rule that I only had one and that should be enough. It's that I'm inquiring and asking myself is this actually pleasurable? What am I getting from this? So so you're kind of so it's not about one cookie or many cookies, it's about paying attention to yourself and making yourself adaptable to the point where you get to know am I giving myself pleasure or am I giving myself pain? Um, and there's a whole spectrum in between pleasure and
1: pain as well.
0: But I don't want to stray too far, but I did want to address your question, Marie. Right,
1: that's, a to- that's a topic for another talk.
0: Another yeah, and, and we've done other talks on that topic specifically, if you want to check out some of our other, our other ones. But what we want to go into now is um, how how you actually go through the motions of training the brain. And we're going to just spend a few minutes on this for the sake of time, but really... Um, I wanted to kind of give you a picture. Yes, the pleasure principle, exactly. Um, so I want to give you a picture of really what we do with our clients and what I've done myself and what Shahar has helped me and our clients do in terms of the change. So like I said, I'm going to talk about the strategy part because that's my strength. Shahar is the mindset guy. But in terms of the strategy, what we do is we focus on putting very small habits around the food. So I I just gave you an example right there, paying attention to the actual pleasure that you're physically experiencing while you're eating. That is an example of a small habit around the food. So basically what we do is we don't tell people you need to eat this or you need to eat this much. We don't put any kind of food rules or restrictions because that's not the real problem here. Instead, what we do is we help you... Habit change happens on many levels. Let me just back up a second. Habit change happens on many levels, especially deep habit change. And if you're dealing with a 30-year, 40-year, 50-year habit, you've got to attack it from all angles. And I say attack in a loving way. So we have the physical level. So the body, all of your muscle memory. I promise you that whatever trigger foods you've got, you have a specific set of muscle memory around those foods that you don't even know about right now because it's so natural, it's just how you're living. But you have this muscle memory and the body remembers trauma physically and it remembers it logically and emotionally. And all of these things are uh, interconnected and overlapping. So the muscle memory is one of the things that we help people change around the food. The other thing that we help people change is the actual thoughts themselves, the conscious mind, right? Your thoughts, your beliefs, everything that consciously goes through your head. These are other patterns that need changing. And then really, once you start working with the physical body and the muscle memory and the and the conscious mind, as you repeat, all this stuff starts to sink deeper into the subconscious mind. And there are other ways also to train the subconscious mind. So for example, with our clients, we give them, we say, just listen to this recording and do what it says before you eat today. And they just do it. And they repeat it enough times that now it's starting to sink into their muscle memory, sink into their subconscious mind. And when it sinks into your subconscious mind, that's where things start to become autopilot. So what we wanted to talk about is this process of something becoming autopilot and how it's actually not as difficult or mysterious as you might think. It's just as simple as driving a car. So we wanted to give that example. Shahar, do you wanna share the car example or shall I?
1: Yes, no problem. Um, yeah, for the, the car example, we well, to this is something that everybody can relate with because I think the majority of people are listening to, I think it's safe to say that at some point in your life, you had to learn a new skill that you were not used to in, Got it to the point that it's a second nature; you don't even need to think about it. And the most easiest example I can ever think of is a car, because car is very necessary for our day to day lives. And when we started learning how to drive a car, everything is new. If you just think about the the complexity, the motoric complexity of it, especially if you learn how to drive with a gear and not just automatic. You have the little gear shift. you have the wheel, you have to learn to turn, uh, to have the turn single signals, press the g- g- gas, the brakes, and constantly look to the right, to the left, behind you have three mirrors you constantly need to move. You move in high speeds, low speeds with other cars. The, the level of intricate motoric skill that demands to do that is truly amazing if you think about it. And we all do it. And in the beginning, it's very tough, right? You're starting and your, your mind is like, oh, okay, I don't use to it. I even remember when I learned how to drive a car. The first thing I have noticed is after that first class, which was just an hour, my lower back was very painful because just those muscles were constantly used that were not used to, just the foot going like this up and down. And that's something I was not used to at all. And it's like turning here, going here, and you go through classes again and again and again and again. And today it is so natural. I don't even think 90% of the things that I thought about while learning how to drive, now I don't think about them at all. It's just natural. Right, left, turning, going in, out, looking right, looking left, just something that I do natural. And not only all that amazing motoric skills that we learn, you can do that on autopilot while having a Conversation with a person behind you, or even with three people in the car at the same time. This is an amazing feat. If you think about it, it's so simple because we develop that new skill from something that is new to something that is just a second nature, like breathing or like walking. Right? You don't <laughs> need to think about it.
0: I just want to add because I. Like breathing. <laughs> That reminded me because a lot of times in the beginning, when we first give people these recordings to practice with, so to retrain themselves around their while they're eating, right. is you know, then they say, Oh, well, I'm going out to dinner later this week. How do I do this in the company of others? But then, and they, and they, it takes effort, right? Just like how if you're driving and you're brand new to driving and people are talking in the car, you're like, Shut up, <laughs> stop talking, focus. <laughs> and, and, but what people find and we just had someone bring this up uh, yesterday, she said, this is becoming so much more natural now that I'm not even thinking about it anymore. And I can easily do it in the presence of others and they wouldn't even know that I'm doing it. Right. So this is so this is the idea is when we practice something over and over and over and over to the point where it becomes autopilot. This is how habits are formed. And We know that this works and we know it works for you because if it didn't, you wouldn't be binge eating right now. This is how the binge habit is also created through these repetitive habits of muscle memory and thoughts and it sinks into the subconscious mind. It becomes so autopilot and so automatic that we associate it with who we are because it's effortless. Right. So that's how the binge eating habit is formed. And it's also the way out. It's also the way the food freedom habit is formed. So just as you formed the binge eating habit, you can also form the food freedom habit with the same exact method. The only difference is when you were forming the binge eating habit, you were not doing it intentionally. Right. We create habits no matter what we do, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we create habits. So Which by the way, the transformation,
1: which means the transformation is going to be much faster because as soon as you release from the identity, you don't need... The transformation becomes much quicker because then the habits change and your identity has been renewed in a different form. But you don't have to let go of the old. Just like how your binge eating has been formed for years, that doesn't mean... If I've been binging for 20 years, it doesn't mean I need to fix it for 20 years. That's not how it works. If you don't identify as it, the change becomes very quickly.
0: Exactly. And what's a saying that I love that has just proven to be so true in this experience has been where your attention goes, your energy flows. So if you're focused on. Binge habits, right, even if it means you're trying to get rid of binge habits, you're still focused on the binge habits right? That's why it's so important that when you're rewiring your brain, you need to know what it is that you're rewiring it toward. You need to have your end goal in mind. You need to have your vision of what it looks like on the other side. So that way you can start creating it. So what I hear as a, as a, what tends to hold people back a lot is they, they know what they don't want. They know i don't want to feel out of control around food i don't want to be thinking about food all the time i don't want to have to keep foods out of the house because i can't control it i don't want to feel stressed when my husband eats the last <laughs> cookies um they'll say all the things they don't want but then when we ask the question okay what do you want they just give more examples of things they don't want oh well i also don't want to feel uh low self-esteem at work. I also don't want to gain weight. I also don't want. So, so what, what we need to shift to then, and this is, I think this is a nice segue into this for next week. We want to focus on if you're building a life of food freedom, you need to know what that is. It can't just be like a theoretical pie in the sky idea. It needs to be okay. Well, what does that mean? That means I feel peaceful around food. It means I enjoy food as a pleasure and also as fuel and I use it to nurture myself. Um, It means that I'm uh, relaxed if I experience a craving. It means I'm confident and I have self-trust, right? So these are ideas of what food freedom could look like, just to give you guys some examples. Um, So it's not, it doesn't stay theoretical. So whenever you're wiring the brain, you need to know where you're going in order to do this well, because if you're only focused on, oh, well, I need to get rid of this habit, I need to get rid of this habit, it's not going to happen. If anything, you're just going to keep reinforcing the habits you don't want, because that's what you're focusing on. Instead, we need to focus on building the new habits. And in order to build those new habits, you need to know where you're going, which is why a lot of people, if they don't have the clarity of exactly what they want, they will never get it. Because what is it? Does that make sense? So that's what we're hoping to talk about a little bit more next week is is um, if and we haven't planned this out yet, but this is kind of our tentative plan right now to talk about the principles of food freedom and what it really means and what it really looks like and what normal or peaceful eating really is. So that way you understand what you are actually creating instead of just trying to get rid of something, because trying to get rid of a habit that you've come to depend on for so long, if you don't have a whole other set of tools to cope, without that, you're not going to get rid of it because it's not safe. You need that right now to cope. So it's important instead to try to get, instead of getting rid of it, focus on building up the new habits that will serve you. And then on its own, the other stuff starts to fall away. And this can happen very, very quickly because like Shahar said, when you have, like you, you built up the binge eating habit over a number of years. But you did it unintentionally. When you come at something with intention, you will achieve it faster than if you have no intention. So the binge eating, it, you know, it built up over a long period of time. But when you come at it now, and you're saying, "I'm building food freedom with a clear intention, and I know exactly what I'm doing, and I know exactly what my practices are, and what it will, what my vision is for the other side," now you're getting somewhere because now you can build now it's tangible. So this is important to know is when you have that clear intention, it will not take 20 years to build this new habit. We see people building the habit in weeks, not months, not years, weeks. The people who build the habit in weeks and who start to feel confident in weeks rather than months or years are the people who show up multiple times a day to practice because the 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 Your success will depend on your frequency of practice. They're small things, but the consistency and the frequency needs to be there, because that's how the brain is wired. Just like driving a car. If you practice driving a car only once a month, it's going to take you a while, right? Because each month when you get back in the car, you have to kind of remember everything from the month before. But if you're practicing a few times a day, you're going to feel much more confident even in the span of one day. And that's what we see: is people usually see progress in our program in the first day or two. Right, or we, day.
1: we see that by and the guys, way in therapy. Practice multiple times. Uh, we see that in therapy, right? When people come once a week, and then you spend thirty minutes of the of the session talking about what happened in this week, and now we can start talking about what's going to happen. So that that, <laughs> that immersion is very important.
0: Right, and that's the idea Um, because, and that is an advantage that we have over, you know, that traditional model of therapy for this specific situation. Because when when you're rewiring the brain, the frequency is such an important factor that having an immersion of some kind is critical. Not only that, but having an immersion where you're doing it in your regular daily life. I'm not talking about going off somewhere to some center or retreat to practice there. If you can build the habits in your current life, that's going to bring you very, very fast um, effects. And we we see it because and a lot of people sometimes worry. They're like, uh, and I'm talking about people who are interested in working with us. They'll say, oh, your program's 10 weeks? Like, I can't <laughs> accomplish anything in 10 weeks. Yeah, you can if you apply the frequency of practice. You're gonna. It, you're not even going to need 10 weeks. It's amazing how adaptable and malleable the brain is, even with such a long-standing habit such as this. And we see it because we work with people in their 60s, you know, pretty regularly who have been dealing with this since they were 12 or 13 years old. So it really, I mean, we're totally convinced because we see it every day, but even the way that the science explains it, it doesn't take the same amount of time to build a new habit as it did to build the old one. If you go at it with intention and skill and know what you're doing, going into it and you and you really apply yourself to practice over and over. Um, so so this is the idea. So next week, what we'll talk about, um, I think. Is or, or if not next week, we'll talk about it very soon, is the principles of food freedom, because the more you can visualize this and see it. The more you can understand how these habits will will create that vision and then suddenly everything is possible because now no lo- you're no longer the binge eater you just have this binge habit that you're just working on um shifting into into a food freedom habit so there's so much possibility for you when you treat this as a habit and not an inherent problem of you When you treat it as a habit and not your identity that you're broken, when you treat it as a habit, not a mental illness, when you treat it as a habit, not an incurable disease, because then you can really just isolate what needs to where the work needs to be done. And then it can happen very quickly with very little drama or pain or suffering. So this is the idea. So next week, let's let's set the intention. We'll talk some more about what the food freedom really looks like so you can start painting this picture
1: for your own life.
0: Anything else you wanted to add, Shahar?
1: Yeah, by the way, just a small little thing. This also goes for people who went through uh, binge eating programs and then they count the days, right? I'm 10 days binge free. So my identity is that I'm a binge free person. And it's the same thing. It's still identifying as the binge eater. But, and this is really what we're talking about. It's, and I want to reinforce what Katie said, it's not just the consistency and the immersion. That's a huge part. This is what creates a difference in the habit, but it goes hand in hand with the release of the identification. This is why the mindset is important. This is where, where I come in handy, is the idea where we release that identification with the binge eating, so that's why when we see people say "I'm ten days binge free," well, our mind goes like, oh, "Are you a binge free? <laughs> like, is this? Uh, is this really? Are you free from it?" Right. Like you're exactly. You're still
0: obsessing about it. And, and and that's such a good point, Shahar. Thank you for saying that um, because <laughs> because it's. It's just so true. It's so true. And and I want to give you guys an action step for those of you who are listening right now. I want to give you guys an action step today. Just pay attention to the language you use to describe yourself and see if you can locate any of those examples of where you might be using this as your identity. And, And when you notice that, just reframe it to say, oh, well, this isn't my identity, I'm not a bit, this is a habit, and start training your brain to remember that distinction. That's a beautiful first step on its own that you can start as soon as today. Um, easy so
1: tactic, I- very easy tactic is saying, instead of I am, say I experience or I feel, right? That's a very easy kind of first step if you don't know where to begin. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I noticed that yesterday I was sitting in a group and someone said, I'm an overthinker. He said it about himself. He said, I'm an overthinker. I definitely overthink as well <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but I wouldn't call myself an overthinker. I would say I have a habit of overthinking, right? Which is very different because now I can adjust my overthinking habit as I see fit. So so this is um, this is this is like gold. When you really get this, this is gold because you can't, you don't just, then it's not limited to your relationship with food. You can apply this to all areas of your life. Then all these things become possible for you that may not have been possible before. Once you understand that your identity is how you make it. Um, so I think that's a lot. We covered a lot today. Um, we're nearing an hour now. So I think we'll we'll use this opportunity to sign up. But I will just say before we go, um, that we do show up once a week to giving talks like this that are available to everyone. Um, I also spend quite a bit of time writing um, posts and, and, and other writings that I send out to my email list. So you guys are welcome to join the email list to, to get more insights if you like reading. Um, and also, of course, if you have been following us for a while and you feel like our program is a fit for you, just so you know, we're going to be opening up Uh, four new spots in March so you're welcome to reach out if you'd like to apply for one of those spots it's a very simple process really you just reach out and share Um, you can reach out just through Facebook Messenger to my page and you can just share what challenges you're going through what kind of results you're really looking for and if it's in alignment with what we do then we can guide you privately through our program to help you do that it is immersion it is private Um, and we really, you know, work with each person personally. (laughs) So, so we are very specific. Um, we do have a very specific goal with this program. So some people will be a fit and some people won't, but if you've been listening to us and you feel like, yeah, this sounds like what I need, please feel free to reach out, um, for one of those spots, uh, coming up next month, which is just a few days from now. So um, we'll talk to you guys very soon. Thank you so much as always for being here and for your kindness and support as we show up each week to, to share this knowledge with you that has been so helpful to us and through the people we, kn- we help and know. Um, thank you very much. We are very grateful for your support and we will see you soon. Thank you, Shahar. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: My pleasure. Bye-bye everyone.